Pocketbook. Noun. One. A woman's handbag. Two. A paperback or other small cheap edition of a book. Woo! Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Pocketbook! So, we were on a bit of a hiatus because I had some technical problems and... Then uh, it was Good Friday and I didn't really feel like, I, I don't know, I didn't feel respectful to, to be doing a slightly mocking podcast on uh, on Good Friday. So here we are back in the game, back to our regular scheduled programming. So if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. This is The Pocketbook, the uh, down market paperback podcast where we read the hard things so you don't have to. We're currently working our way through the monolith that is the Old Testament of the Bible. And uh, we're just chilling in Exodus. So uh, it's been a while since our last episode. So if you don't remember, um, you know, if you're if you're caught up, you know, one of the three of you that, that are caught up, um, we'd left off with the Israelites making it all the way to Mount Sinai, uh, which is really, really groovy. We had that whole thing with Moses and his wife showing up with their sons and then peacing out, I guess. I don't know what happened to them. I suppose we'll find out together if we ever are allowed to. We'll see. I don't know if they ever show back up or not. Who's to say? So, we're at Mount Sinai. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on here. And just a heads up that we're getting into the part of the book where we're really, really heavy on the law. So the only real plot point is that uh, God says to Moses, yo, talk to those elders, tell them that I'm going to lay down some laws. And Moses does so, and they say, cool. Also, this God guy, he's kind of freaky, so why don't you talk to him? We don't want to talk to him. Because God is currently manifesting himself as a gigantic thundercloud storm thing on the very top of the mountain, which I don't know. I mean, can you imagine? You've been wandering in the desert You've, you know, you've just come out of Egypt, you make it to Mount Sinai, and uh, you're, you know, you're told that God is there, and then all of a sudden there's this massive amount of storm and lightning and smoke and a bunch of weird stuff. I would also be asking someone else to go talk to God instead of me. So, uh, yeah, so that happens. There's lots of smoke and trumpet blasts and all kinds of stuff. They go back and forth, and then, uh... God also says, oh, by the way, the people aren't even allowed to talk to me, so, you know, whatever. I've, I've said what I had to say to them. And it was basically, hey, I'm God. I'm here. Tight. Uh, so he's now said, that's it. I don't want to talk with these guys anymore. So Moses goes down to the people and says, hey, so God says that he doesn't want to talk to you. Uh, and also, by the way, if you come up to where I'm talking to him, he's going to kill you. So all the people were naturally like, okay, you um." We're glad that you're talking to God instead of us. And then we get into the laws. So I wanted to preface this episode. I thought a lot about what to do with the law and how to talk about it. Because a lot of it is don't do these things. If these things happen, this is the punishment. And this is kind of how it goes. So uh, I'm going to give you the highlight reel. But I I just want to preface by saying that this portion of the law is... I wouldn't say hotly debated, but it's not cut and dried. Not everybody interprets the law in the same way. Um, and in fact, the you know modern day Jewish folks who, who use this, this section of, of their text as a big foundation of their law, um, there, there's a lot of debate and discrepancy about how exactly one should practice um, individual particular laws. And, and, and there's a reason why there's a whole bunch of smart people that do all of this um, exegesis and, and scriptural commentary. And I mean, the holy book for a lot of different faiths isn't just the Bible. There's lots of interpretation that's gone on along with that. So, I mean, the Midrash, which is a, a series of rabbinical writings in the Jewish faith, uh, you know, where people have commented on like, hey, so by the way, this thing in scripture probably means this. I mean, in Catholicism, there's the catechism. There's a, there's a whole list of like, okay, so we know that the rules are a little vague, so we're going to make some to clarify that, right? So if, and all of that is to say, if anybody comes up to you and says, I read it in Leviticus or Exodus, so it's the law, uh, and this is what it means, I, you know, that's their interpretation. Take that with a gigantic grain of salt. I, I did think about kind of jumping around a little bit here, but uh, we're getting into some of the things that you'll hear a lot in the media and and you know the whole the whole point of this is to 
kind of give, you know, help to give some perspective to some of the, the pop culture and the, you know, the ways in which these, these stories and, and this text has made it into our, our lives more broadly, even, even if you don't uh, profess to be of one of the three Abrahamic faiths and then you don't really know anything about the Bible or Christianity or anything like that. So I thought it would be doing you guys a disservice to, to press the skip button, especially because this section and into Leviticus and, and parts of Deuteronomy are the parts that often gets get skipped in, in every kind of education because they're really not that fun. So hopefully I can do a good job of making it a little more fun for you, but I wanted to give you the highlight reel. So of course the first and most important of the laws are the Ten Commandments. Um, and it says Ten Commandments and you think to yourself, awesome, ten rules, that's all I got. Nope, that's a complete lie. There are a lot of other rules. So just uh, strap in here because, whew, there's a lot. So I'm sure lots of you have heard like, bits and pieces or highlights of the Ten Commandments, but we're going to go through all of them because uh, I think they're kind of cool. And again, one of those things it's, that can be really open to interpretation. So for example, the first one is my favorite, um, which is I'm God. <laughs> uh, I'm the God that did all these things for you. I brought you out of Egypt. So no worshiping other gods. I'm your God now. Like, this is it. <laughs> no other gods. Which I, I love this commandment because it really exemplifies for me the existence of, of other of other gods, of other powers in the universe. And I think it's so interesting that God is very clear about the fact that, like, oh, yeah, there's other gods. You could be worshipping other people. You just shouldn't. It's me. I'm your god now. So, you know, let's roll with this. Which I think is, is always very interesting. The second one is, you shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything in heaven or anything on earth. Don't bow down to it and worship it. Because I'm your god. So don't don't do this. You worship me and you don't need any extra fun images in order to worship me. So in the context of uh, the original text, if, if you think about other faiths that existed at the time, worship of images was quite common, right? I mean, you've, you've got a, a graven image of the goddess that, that you sacrifice to that image or um, you've got, you know, little carved up clay figures of your god or your god is a totem that has uh, you know, that's made of a skull and a bunch of scraps of stuff. You know, there's lots of lots of other faiths out there that, that worship a little bit differently. And so I think it's very interesting that this commandment is, I think, in its intent, certainly to distinguish like, okay, so all those other guys, they're doing all that stuff. I don't want you to do any of that. You don't need anything like that to worship me. No graven images. I'm the god, only me. That's it. So... It's, again, putting that distance between the other faiths that exist in the same area at the time and sort of saying, no, 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 no. We don't do that. We do this. And and this is a theme, again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the time on this because this is something that's going to come up quite a bit as we move forward into uh, some of the prophets and, and some of the other, other fun stories that happen in the Old Testament is the distinguishing between, yeah, okay, I get it that this is how all of the other people in this area do it, but I also don't care, though, because I'm your god, and I already told you how to worship, and it's not like this. So we've already had our little dose of God flexing on Pharaoh, but uh, God flexes on a lot of other people, uh, and he and he uses uh, distinctions like this in order to put distance between the Hebrews and, and other people that existed at the time. So that's that's the no idols. The modern interpretation, of course, is that, um, you know, idols could mean uh, television. You could, your pride could be an idol. You could, uh, you know, you could build yourself a, a massive mansion and, and worship the amount of money that you make. You know, there's, there's all kinds of other things that could be deemed as idols. So that's, there's, you know, a more, a more flexible modern interpretation has, has certainly been applied to that commandment. And I would say commonly, certainly in Christian circles, there's lots of talk about how, you know, really anything can be an idol. If it, be, if it comes between you and God, it's, it probably counts and you maybe shouldn't do it that way. So it's something interesting to reflect on, you know, what, what is an idol and, and you know, if you are a practicing member of, of the faith, you know, what does... What does that mean? And, and there's lots of really cool, interesting reflections about that. But again, this is not a deep spiritual experience, uh, nor am I a scholar of the scriptures. So if you want to know more about that, you should, you know, look up stuff or go to church or talk to a priest or something. Because they probably have a lot more opinions about it than I do. The next one. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord. And because the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. And so... 
I think I love this translation. I mean, one of the many reasons that we're using the, the NRSV translation for this, because I love it. And it bridges a nice gap between, you know, the dictatorial and um, <laughs> I would say ancient text of the King James translation uh, and something a bit more modern that I think, you know, it's sort of what I'm doing, right? I mean, we're, we are going modern to the point of the language maybe doesn't even mean the same thing anymore, right? So I think this is a this is a nice one. And because if you've heard the, you know, the old King James version of, of this commandment, it's, you know, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. And I always thought that meant like, you know, don't just throw around God's name, like saying, oh my God, or oh Lord, or you know, those kinds of things. Uh, to me, this, this translation of misuse, um, I think it's a really interesting word choice. And we'll do a side episode once about translations, like, oh, don't get me started. But anyway, I, I like this translation of it, and I think it gives me a lot more clarity in terms of it's not just um, speaking the name of God um, or calling on God. It's calling on God for a purpose that is not intended, right? So uh, if you're saying, oh, my God, these mountains are beautiful, you're probably okay. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like a misuse of the name. If you're saying, oh my God, I wish a plague upon you and your cow and your descendants up until the 27th generation, that's probably not a great use of God's name. You know, I mean, I don't know. So it, it really, it kind of broadens the perspective for me about like, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't use God's name to curse people because that's not great. You know, don't, don't put curses on people. Don't put that evil on folks. It's terrible. So and, and I think it's really cool that God's like, I mean, I, don't do it. But even if you do take my name in vain, uh, you know, misuse my name, I'm not doing what you asked me to do. Like, come on, get it together. So an interesting little uh, little fail-safe, you know, kind of catch-all there at the end. Even if you do misuse the Lord's name, he's probably not going to listen to you. So the next one is remember the Sabbath day. So we've talked a lot about the Sabbath here recently. Uh, there's lots of setups about the Sabbath. Uh, you know, we talked about the manna from falling from the sky uh, last episode so and again it it fell twice as much on the the sixth day and then did not fall on the seventh day because god's taking a break and i think it's really cool there's lots of people that have done a lot of really interesting stuff i guess with the sabbath and talking about how important it is for humans to take a break and all these different things but um regardless god says uh don't work on my day <laughs> told you not to do that and again Varying interpretations of what that means. Uh, there are a ton of very smart people working very hard to do very smart things about what that means. And so what constitutes work? You know, uh, it's one of the reasons why many folk who are Jewish live within walking distance of their synagogue so that they don't have to work on the Sabbaths in order to go and, and, and you know, sort of be involved in their faith community. So you know, different interpretations, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why small Canadian towns, nothing's open on a Sunday, right? Like, it's, 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 it's interesting to see how people have sort of taken that into a modern interpretation. But all the text says is, uh, don't do any work, not you, your son, your daughter, no alien residents in your towns, even if they're from somewhere else, they still don't get to do work on Sundays or the Sabbath day, which, again with the calendar change and all that stuff there's you know the sabbath day probably isn't really sunday it's probably a different day who knows whatever the seventh day don't do it uh, and i think it's really cool that again there's provisions for i don't care who's living in your in your place like sabbath day is sabbath day and they don't do any work either so no work for anybody on the sabbath the next one is honor your father and your mother and i, I honor that another one again flexibility what does honor mean does that mean like be respectful and treat them nicely probably does it mean you know if they're super abusive you should have them in your life and trust them and you know have a nice tight relationship with them probably not you know yeah and again this is one of those ones where you've probably heard people say well you know it's in there you should honor your father and your mother so you can't talk to me like that and you can't do things that i don't like like nope that's not what that means I can perfectly kindly and perfectly respectfully say, you know, I'm not going to do that thing that you wanted me to do because it breaks another commandment. And again, there are a lot of really smart people talking about, well, so I, commandment A 
says that I can do this, but commandment B says I can't do that. So what happens if in order to, in order to keep commandment one, I have to break commandment two? How does that work? There's, there's algorithms. There's so much, so much study that's been put into things like this. So, uh, you know, it's, it's baffling. There's, there's lots going on there. So the, the next ones seem so clear. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Well, it's not lie. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor, which isn't about if God asks you if you did something and you did it and you say no. What that is about is saying if God comes to you and says, hey, did your neighbor Joe do the thing? And you say, absolutely. I totally saw him doing the thing, even though you didn't. That's bearing false witness against your neighbor. Don't do that. It's terrible. And uh, now where there's some coveting and uh, you're not supposed to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So no coveting the house. No coveting the wife, male slave, female slave, ox, donkey, anything. Nothing that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet it. It's not for you. It's somebody else's. Don't do it. So uh, there you go. That's, that's the Ten Commandments. That's it. And again, things like, though you shall not murder. That seems like it's really clear. But there's, again, this little translation note that says, murder or kill. Well, kill what? Kill who? Kill when? We're about to go to war here a lot once we, you know start beating up on the Canaanites, and is that okay? You know, it, mm, there's lots of, lots of gray, lots of gray areas. So again, even in, even in the simplest top 10, these are the commandments, everybody can agree, these are the most important ones in the Old Testament, like this is the stuff that you should pay attention to. You can see how even in those 10, uh, there's a lot of room to be like, okay, but what about in this specific situation? What do I do then, you know? So anybody who tells you that they know the law uh, and they're doing it right 100% of the time and you're doing it wrong, they're probably full of it. They, they probably don't know. And everyone's making their best guess, right? And so, you know, you, you rely on your community and you rely on other smart people to say like, hey, does this seem like a good thing to do or not? It's, uh, it's, it's a process. So now we get into some, some other bits. And so the next thing that God talks about once he's given the Ten Commandments and, the, you know, the... Thunder and lightning happens and there's sounds of trumpets and the mountain smokes and everyone's like, oh, okay, we really don't want to talk to God. You, you talk to us, we'll listen to you, but we don't, we don't want to talk to the scary guy. Don't make us do it. And so God's like, hey, don't worry about it. God's just showing off. It's basically what he says, right? Like, he's just trying to put fear into you because, you know, he's a God. He's got to look important. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Which I think is, is wonderful. Uh, so, so Moses goes into the deep darkness where God is and, and they have another little chat. And the first thing they chat about is the altar. And so here we have the instructions for making an altar. So if you want to know, much, much like Noah's boat, if you, uh, you want to know what the rules are, um, never mind, you can't make your own altar. It just tells you what to do with an altar and what not to do with an altar. So we have a repetition. So we've already said no idols, but God's very specific here. No gold, no silver, nothing fancy. Don't do it. And I think it's also quite interesting, you might also think it's quite interesting, that God puts a little provision in place so that uh, he doesn't have to be a creeper. So if the altar, you know, is somewhere, you need to put it up a couple steps up approaching it so that God can't look up your skirt when you walk up to worship, which I think is so kind. I mean, now that could be because God doesn't want to look at your junk, but, you know, maybe you don't want God looking at your junk either. So it's probably a good thing. Don't do that. Just, uh, he doesn't want to look up your skirt. So just put a couple steps up there. Everything's solved. Um, he also says, you know, if you are, if you're going to pick a stone, don't, um, don't touch it with your chisel. It's my stone. I made it like that. Just put it there and make me a rock altar. That's all you need, which I think is really nice. God's au naturel, which is kind of cool. And, uh, there's there's burnt offerings and oxen and sheep and all those kinds of things. So, you know, the things that God has liked the whole time, he still has them on his list of, yes, this is great. So that's that's it. Those are the laws about the altar. If you make an altar, here's how to use one uh, and also put it up some steps so that I don't have to look up your skirt, which is great. And just so you were clear, everyone was wearing skirts, right? I mean, pants, pants waste so much fabric. It's insane in the membrane how much of a, a cut of cloth you have to just throw away or use for scrap if you make a pair of pants, as opposed to making a long robe or a dress or a skirt or a whatever. So much, so much easier to just wrap it around yourself a couple of times and give it a tie. And then you don't waste any fabric. So quite common at this time for everyone to be wearing dresses, just so 
when someone tells you that dresses are gendered, you can tell them that that's a complete and total lie. Everybody wears dresses. They're comfortable and breezy. It's wonderful. So now we move on to the law concerning slaves. This is, again, another, another distinction between the Hebrews at the time and everybody else. So if you have a slave, uh, you can keep him for six years. Him or her, them, they, them. You can keep that person for six years. In the seventh, they should go out a free person with no debt. So you just let them go. They go off and do their thing. There's some provisions about if, you know, you kind of go in the way you come out. No, you go out the way you came in. Yeah, you go out the way you came in. If you come in single, you go out single. If you came in with a wife, you go out with your wife. Um, if you came in single and your wife gave you... No, your master gave you a wife, not your wife gave you a master. If you come in single, your master gives you a wife, and you've got kiddos... Uh, then the wife and children belong to the master, and he gets to keep them, which is kind of yuck. But there's this fancy provision, if you do get a wife from your master, and then you have babies, and you want to stay, and you like your master, and you like your wife, which presumably you like her, I mean, that seems like a good prerequisite, even though marriage at the time was certainly more of an economic situation, but let's not get into that. If you like them, you can choose to stay, and in that case... You get your ear pierced with a little awl, so they stick a stick through your earlobe, and uh, that's a signal that you are the slave for life. So the, the slave can choose to be a slave for the rest of their lives if they want to. Um, so there you go. That's if Now you know. If you want to keep a slave the ancient way, that's how to do it, even though it's illegal. It's also very interesting that if a man decides to sell his daughter into slavery... That uh, she's got different rules. And so the, the best part about that is that um, the, the person who buys the daughter can't sell her on to other people. So it's, you can't be like, you know what, I would love to buy your daughter as a slave and then sell her to someone in Egypt who likes, uh, you know, girls that look like that or whatever. Then you, you can't do that. That's not a lie. So there you go. That's... Uh, that's the, the quick and dirty on the laws of slaves. Now we get into the laws on violence. And this is where a lot of the stuff, I'm not going to go through all of it because a lot of it is if you kidnap this person, this is the punishment. But if you kidnap this person, it's a different punishment. We're not going to get into all of that. Basically, the whole thing is uh, if you strike another person and they die, you also die. Fun for everyone. Um, yeah. That's, oof. So if they didn't do it on, if it wasn't premeditated, if they didn't do it on purpose, then God's going to find a place for you to put them in exile. So you can just send them away, kind of like Cain and Abel, right? Um, but if that person does it by treachery, then woof. You take them to the altar, you kill them. So if you, uh, and again, so now we're specific. So it says whoever strikes a person mortally, kill them. But then it says whoever strikes a, a father or mother, kill them too. Like, I'm not sure why that specification is there. Uh, but maybe, maybe because it doesn't matter whether it's by an act of God or treachery, if you strike a mother or a father and kill them. Oh, it doesn't even say mortally. If you strike them at all, you're dead. Don't hit your mom. It's a bad deal. Um, if you kidnap somebody, that's, you, you die. It doesn't matter what you do with them. If you kidnap them and hold them, if you kidnap them and sell them, doesn't matter. Toast. If you curse a father or a mother, you're toast. And again, cursing, like, I don't, that doesn't mean, like, screw you, mom. That means, like, you know, may your cattle die of the, of the dropsy and your crops be blighted for seven years. You're like, we're talking about, like, some real hardcore cursing. If you want to lay the evil on somebody, they're going to kill you. So, you know, maybe take it easy next time you think about uh, cursing someone, particularly a father or a mother. And again, there's like, it's, it's so, some places it's so vague and some places it's so incredibly specific. If you strike an individual with a stone or a fist so that the injured party, not, though not dead, is confined to bed, but recovers and walks around outside with the help of a staff, then the assailant shall be free of liability except to pay for the loss of time and must arrange for a full recovery of the person that they struck. Like that is so specific. Like... You gotta wonder, like, how many times has this happened that God feels the need to be like, okay, so I know this has happened a lot to you, but really, I'm gonna lay down the rules for this specific situation. It blows my mind. So, again, if you strike the slave and they die, the owner gets punished. 
But if you strike the slave and they survive a day or two, and then they die, eh, no punishment. You're good. Which, I don't know. Ugh. Bonkers. I didn't write this stuff down. Don't ask me. I don't know. Ugh. And of course, because the patriarchy, if you are fighting and you injure a pregnant woman so that there is a miscarriage, but no further harm follows, then uh, the person who injured that woman in order that, and that caused the miscarriage is to pay the husband. Um, paying as much as the husband determines to be appropriate for the loss of their child. If, far, if harm does follow, so if the woman miscarries, miscarries and then she dies, then it's the same deal. You killed somebody. That's it. But I think it's really interesting that this is also super, super specific. So not just for anyone that dies. If you injure a pregnant woman and harm follows, so if she gets scratched, if she gets an eye taken out or a tooth knocked out, it's very, very, very specific. You shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, I say stripe, we're not talking about zebras here. I mean, cool as that would be. Uh, if you turn the lady into a zebra, you also get turned into a zebra. Meaning, uh, if you whip her, then you also are whipped. So, on the one hand, patriarchy, if your baby dies, nah, we'll just pay you. It's fine. But also, I, curious, I present this fact for your observation. It doesn't say if you kill anyone, it's wound for wound. You know, or if you harm anyone, it's wound for wound. Specifically, if you harm a pregnant woman, which is very interesting. So there you go. Um, if a slave owner, we're back to slaves now. So if a slave owner strikes in some way one of his slaves, causing damage to an eye or an ear, uh, they or a tooth, for example, then that slave is to be let go free and compensated for the cost of their body part, which I think is very interesting. So it's kind of like workers' comp. If you get injured on the job, you get paid for your stuff, and then you don't have to work there anymore. So that's nice, I guess. And uh, now we're on to laws concerning property, which I just... Oh, this is so incredibly interesting. Because it really leads into a bunch of stuff that happened in the Middle Ages about culpability. And so who's responsible for, for what? So when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, it's the ox that is stoned. And not the owner of the ox that, that's punished. I mean, the owner... What could he do? The ox chose to do the thing. So the ox is stoned to death and is not eaten. But the owner is not liable, which I think is uh, very, very interesting. But if the owner, if, if the ox has gored a person in the past and the owner's been notified and has done nothing about it, and then the ox kills someone, then both the ox and the owner are put to death. Which I just, oh, I find this idea fascinating. You know, there's, there's a whole trend in the Middle Ages about, you know, people, animals being responsible or, or animals being uh, given trials. You know, and so this idea about who's culpable and who's not and where does, where does culpability come into a, a given justice system. Very, very interesting question. Apparently, if an ox gores you to death, he meant it. And so you should stone him. So there's that. Um, and again, now we're getting into, so if the ox gores, uh, you know, a man or a woman, it's this. If there's a ransom, this is how it works. If it gores a boy or a girl, the rules are different. Male, male or female slave, rules are different. So, you know, there's, there's different provisions around there for, for different, uh, different stratifications of society. I also think it's really, open, really interesting that if you leave a pit open um, or you dig a pit and don't cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit makes restitution because the pit is obviously not an animate being with thoughts and feelings. Uh, so um, the owner of the ox doesn't have to worry about it, but the owner of the pit, if you left that pit open and you were irresponsible about it, you got to pay for the damages that it does, which I think is interesting. Also, you get to keep the dead animal that falls into your pit and dies. So I can see the fact that if you had a lot of money, but not a lot of food, you could open a pit let someone's donkey fall into it, pay them the cost of the donkey, and then just eat the donkey? Seems like a very inefficient way to get on with things, but who knows. Basically, we're into laws of restitution now, which is just uh, a whole bunch of ratios. So if someone steals an ox, then you gotta pay for it. and Or a sheep, or a goat, or a donkey, or a whatever. You gotta pay for it, and the prices are laid out accordingly. So it's, it's five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep, um, but if you took the oxen or sheep 
and you ate it, then you just pay the cost. If you took the oxen or sheep and it's found alive in your possession, you have to pay double. Because that means that you weren't just a starving man. You're just a jerk. You just, you just took that ox. Ugh, what a terrible person. <sighs> I also think it's really interesting that <laughs> if a thief is found breaking in in the middle of the night and you kill him, no blood guilt for you. You're fine. It's totally okay. You don't have to pay a blood price to his family or anything like that, and you don't get put to death. Handy dandy. Home invasion at night? A-okay. Kill the bugger. But if a thief breaks in in the middle of the day and you kill him, mm, blood guilt on you. Dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow, dishonor on everybody in your house. That's it. Uh, that's a, a, a bad time. Which is just... I, I, don't, I didn't know that there was a difference. Because what happened? Yeah, because burglaries happen all the time during the day. But anyway, I guess if someone breaks into your house during the day, you can't kill them. Or if you do, you, you get some blood guilt. And probably would have to pay a blood price, although that is not strictly mentioned in the text. So, again, if you let your sheep loose and they eat all your neighbor's grapes... Ugh. You have to make some kind of restitution based on the best produce that was destroyed by your animals. So you, uh, if you leave something with your neighbor, if you say, hey, bro, if you're in the library and you say, hey, bro, watch my stuff. And while you're gone, the stuff gets stolen. Um, the thief, if caught, pays double because he didn't just steal from you. He also stole from your bro who was watching your stuff. So double the price of that. Um, disputed ownership. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, ownership over anything. Clothing, donkey, land, any, anything that might be possible to have some sort of conflict on who owns the thing. You bring that before God, and God decides who it actually belongs to, and uh, the person who is making the false claim pays double to the person to whom it actually belongs. So there you go. It's that old bearing false witness thing. Don't say it belongs to you if it doesn't. If it doesn't, we're going to fine you for it. Oh my goodness. I'm telling you. All these, all these kinds of laws about animals and what to do with them if you borrow it. Uh, if, you, if you give someone an, on, uh, an onkey or a dox, a donkey or an ox, and they die, you have to make some restitution. If someone borrows your cow and then it's injured or dies, uh, you have to make full restitution because the owner wasn't present, so it obviously wasn't their fault, so you got to pay them. So you can see how whew, we've made it through the stuff about how not to hit people and how to look after things, you know, who deserves compensation when things go wrong. Which is, I mean, again, carrying on with the theme, some of this stuff is so incredibly specific. And some of it is so incredibly vague. So, here's the thing. If you seduce a virgin, we're on to social and religious laws now. And this is where we get into the good stuff. You've probably heard some of this stuff in pop culture before. And we will stop and have a little break and talk about that when we get there. But... If you are a man, or identify as a man, and you seduce a virgin, no gender implied, then, uh, who is not engaged to be married, and if you lie with her, so if you sleep with the lady, you have to pay the bride price and make her your wife. If the father's like, no, you're a horrible human, I don't want my daughter to marry you, what a terrible idea, then you just pay the bride price and don't get the bride. So, there you go. Don't, uh... Don't, don't do that. And this one, um, we're on uh, 22, Exodus 22, chapter 18. This one, oh, it comes up all over the place. I'm sure you've heard someone say, the King James heavy-handed translation version is, version is, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Just want to point out that witches in, in the context of the Salem witch trials and, and you know, uh, 1600s England, not at all the same thing as what's being described here, in my humble opinion. Uh, like I say, there's a lot of smart people that have written a lot of great books about Christianity and persecution and how this text has been used to just bulldoze a whole bunch of people and, and be really awful about it. But uh, really what this is implying is it actually says a female sorcerer. And again, think about the context of coming out of Egypt where, uh, you know, sorcerers, uh, you know, were laying terrible curses on you. So I choose to interpret this as, if you're going to start laying terrible curses on people and using black magic, don't do that. We should probably kill you for that. Not saying that we should probably kill you for that, but that's what the text says. So, uh, yeah. So, and again, like I say, this, that, that verse particular, this is, this is the section of Exodus that gets cherry-picked all the time. So someone will come up with that you know, verse 18 is a perfectly good example. 
we should not suffer a witch to live. So if you're doing anything occult, we should kill you or persecute you. I'm sure you've all heard people like that talk to you. I would humbly suggest that they are perhaps incorrect in their understanding of the text as a whole, and they should maybe listen to the podcast. Um, the next one is whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. And I just want to clarify here, if your dog sleeps in your bed, that's okay. If you're having sex with your dog, not okay. Lies with. Remember what that means. That's a very specific thing in the Bible. Don't have sex with your dog or anything else that isn't a human. Bad times. You can get nasty diseases from that. It's really not good. So don't have sex with animals or we're going to kill you. And um, so, <laughs> again, we've already talked about this whole I'm the only God. You don't get any other gods. But now uh, God sees fit to clarify and says, if you sacrifice to or worship other gods, I will devote you to destruction, which is the most metal threat I think I've ever heard. Next time someone says something and I am upset, I am going to say, if you do that, I will devote you to destruction. It just sounds so committed. Like, not I'm going to put you to death, which is clear and threatening, but I will devote you to destruction implies, with its vagueness, something infinitely more sinister than just being killed. Like, yeek. I don't know what being devoted to destruction means, but it doesn't sound like a fun time. So this is my favorite part. People will talk about verse 18, you know, kill all the witches, but they don't talk about verse 21, which is one of my faves. You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien. So uh, when, when the aliens come from area whatever, 41 or 40, whatever, what is that area? If the aliens come... <laughs> We can't oppress them. But in this context, you know, all, all humor aside, it just means if you have someone who comes from someplace else, uh, don't oppress them. So it's funny how the people who are like, kill all the witches, tend to also be the people who are like, mm, people that come from other countries, particularly if they're not white, are terrible. So, and we should oppress them. Which means they didn't read the whole text, because God specifically says, you shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like to suffer. Don't be a jerk. Like, come on. And he goes on to make provisions for widows and orphans. If you do abuse them, when they cry out to me, I will hear their cry and I'm going to kick your ass. Don't do that. Oh, he doesn't say kick your ass. Uh, my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. So there you go. Basically, if you oppress some widows or orphans... I will kick your ass and then you'll become a widow or an orphan or your wives will become widows and orphans. See how you like it. It's just one of those things that I just, I think it clearly, clearly illustrates how we are called uh, in, in, and of, I would think many scholars would agree, in, in any of the three Abrahamic faiths and many other faiths, you're called upon to be empathetic to others, be kind to others. You can see how we're setting the seeds of radicalism here. Don't worry, once we get to New Testament times, we'll be all over that stuff. So this, this little piece, you know? Some dichotomies in thinking there that I would just like to provide to you for your political discussions in future. Someone saying that it's unchristian to, uh, you know, let in people from other countries who aren't white, uh, you should um, ask them if they've read Exodus 22. Because if they haven't, they should. And, uh... 20 verse 25 also very interesting lending money so this one i have a little tidbit for you about the middle ages um where you just get into some whacked out psychology and again people who will cherry pick verses and say okay so this specific thing right here means that i get to be a jerk to you so because in the middle ages christendom as a conglomerate was a thing um, anyone who was Jewish at the time, you know, Christians were not allowed to launder, to lend money. You're not allowed to do any of that kind of stuff. You can't charge interest when you loan someone money. Cause it says that right here. If you loan money to my people, to the poor among you, you shall not deal with them as a creditor. You can't exact interest from them. If you do, you're a jerk. So, but then these people did this. Oh, it's so messed up. You guys, this is so messed up. So. Christians say, we're not allowed to loan money and charge interest. Also, Jewish people who happen to live here, you can't do any other jobs. 
no jobs for you. And so the Jewish people were like, okay, well, all you rich buggers are asking for loans, so I guess I'm going to charge some interest. Then the Christian people were like, oh, how dare you? It says in the Bible that you can't do that? So you are the evil one because I have put you in a situation where you are oppressed and the only thing you can do to feed your family is to charge me interest. Uh, it's just bananagrams, guys. So don't charge interest. You're probably a jerk. Then there's more rules about, um, you know, pawning a cloak. And, and just like... So if you take your neighbor's cloak and pawn, and, and, and cloak, I would use this as anything that's essential, it says you have to give it back before sundown. Because what if it's their only garment? And what will they sleep in? Just like, oh, we should be empathetic. Don't take your neighbor's only cloak. And again, ugh, speaking to the current socioeconomic situation, right? It's, it's unethical, and in this case, unlawful, to take the last of what someone has without being able to, you know, you have to, people have to be able to live. And I think a lot of these laws, one of the things I love about them is that they provide for, look, people have to be able to make it. You can't put these things in place that are unjust. Um, So again, alongside the patriarchy and some problematic stuff like killing witches, there's also some really empathetic things and things that sort of provide for the poor and the weak, uh, which is groovy in my mind so again if you if you don't think it's groovy i i don't really care so then uh we're talking about more more curses no curses for anyone don't revile god don't curse the leaders of your people so again you can say that you don't like the president or the prime minister but you probably shouldn't call down a swarm of locusts that their flesh may be consumed um and their bones ground to dust You probably shouldn't say that. It's probably a bad thing. Don't do that. And again, don't don't delay in making offerings when when you've been blessed with abundance, right? So you got a good harvest. You got a beautiful wine harvest. You've made wonderful, wonderful wine. Uh, Share some of that stuff around. Sacrifice it to God. Thank him for for your your prosperity. Uh, Then we get back to that firstborn son thing. Uh, And I'm presuming it's not stated specifically here that you can still do a sheep for son swap if you want to. So like we talked about earlier uh, when there was, you know, God said, okay, I want you to give me all your firstborn sons when, that are born when you leave Egypt, when you're free, anything that's born, give them to me, which usually means sacrifice them. But he also says at that time, by the way, if you don't want to give me your firstborn human son, you can just sacrifice a sheep instead. So I'm assuming that rule still applies because then he says, do the same thing, firstborn anything, Give them up. Firstborn lamb, firstborn donkey, firstborn oxen is mine. You sacrifice them and give them to me. Um, and again, God says, you're holy. You're my people. Like, I'm making an effort for you. So you don't get to eat any meat that is mangled by beasts of the field. So if a coyote's eating that donkey, you don't get to eat that donkey too. You're my people. Have some respect. I can just picture Tan France. Make an effort. Make an effort. Don't, don't eat meat that's been mangled by beasts of the field. Throw it to the dogs. Yucky. So, now we're getting into... I feel like, I'm telling you guys, this is just going to be one long listicle of weird stuff. So, we're getting into some justice for all. There's, um, you know, don't spread false reports. Don't join hands with the wicked and, ask as, and act as a malicious... Um, Witness, don't do that. That's bad. You, you, can't, you can't do that. And again, that goes along with bearing false witness, right? So if you, for example, are a specialist and you get called in for testimony, you can't just make it up to suit the prosecution or the defense. You can't just, you can't just do things like that. Ugh. You're bearing false witness and that's unethical and you shouldn't do it. Oh, and the other thing. So if your enemy, if they lost their ox or their donkey, and you find the ox or donkey, you bring it back, even if you hate their guts. You have to bring it back. So if your friend loses, if your enemy loses a puppy, you bring their puppy back. Because that's, that's low, man. You can't, you can't just keep someone's puppy that ran away. Yeah. And same thing, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden, and, and you want to hold back, and you don't want to set it free, suck it up! Set it free! It's not about you, it's about the donkey! I just love that, like, the, the things that belong and the, the living creatures that are under 
the control or the influence of the person that you hate, it doesn't matter. It's about the. It's not about you. It's about the the creature. You have to help them. You have to like let them go. Don't be a dork. Ugh. Don't pervert justice. And don't pervert justice that's due to the poor. Oh, I'm telling you guys, we are going to get on this revolutionary train and we are going to ride it for all it is worth. You can't do the thing. You, you can't cheat the poor people in their lawsuits. It's terrible. Don't have false charges. Don't kill the innocent. Because God's not going to acquit the guilty. He says so. Anyway, don't subvert. Don't bribe. Don't be a jerk. Don't oppress a resident alien. Look at that. We, we hear it twice. Don't oppress a resident alien. You know what it was like to be an alien in the land of Egypt. Stop being a jerk. Uh, yeah. Okay, so now we get into sabbatical years and the Sabbath. Um, there's a whole... So not only do you have um, a Sabbath day, but also the seventh year is a sabbatical year. So... You sow your land and, and you uh, gather its harvest every year, but on the seventh year, you let that land lie fallow. So, funny story, that's where we also get the, uh, so, like, a sabbatical. So if you are a professional and you are going on a sabbatical, you know, you've worked your six years and now you're going to take a year off to, it's not really off, but it's, it's a year to uh, replenish and, and work on your professional development, much like the land needs a year off to replenish its nutrients and be good to be planted again, uh, you also, as a professional, can also take a year or two years or whatever to um, go off and learn to be a better human, which I think is really cool. So that's where we get that term sabbatical from Shabbat, Shabbat, the Sabbath. That's where you get it. So you can take a whole Sabbath year in the seventh year, which is kind of cool. And again, we do the six days thing, more stuff about the Sabbath, annual festivals, there's three times a year, Festival of Unleavened Bread, which we talked about in our last episode. Also, um, happy end of Passover to all of my folks who listen who may in fact be Jewish. Um, I believe it's in a couple of days here. The 16th is coming up. So Passover ends in a couple of days. Very, very cool. Fascinating festival. Um, eat Unleavened Bread to commemorate the time where you came out of Egypt. <sighs> festival of Harvest where you sacrifice the parts of the fruits of your labor to God and say, yay, we made all these things. And then a, a festival at the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather all the things. So there you go. No blood of the sacrifice with anything leavened. So you can't have leavened bread. So that we talked about that last time. That's bread with yeast in it. Uh, something that's risen. You can't have bread that's risen. Or now, and interestingly enough, um, leavened also happens when you so if you mix flour and water if you're making sourdough for example if you leave it long enough it will start to leaven it, it becomes leavened bread so uh when you're making matzah for example for passover you have to make it really 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 fast so that it doesn't have the opportunity to leaven otherwise it's not kosher which is a fun fact that i learned recently while i was trying to make bread so uh it's not just adding yeast to your bread it's, it's using the naturally occurring yeast to make something like a sourdough that counts too no sourdough bread dipped in blood for God's sacrifices. None of that stuff. So, um, fruit, all kinds of things. Uh, and you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So you can't have, like, if you slaughter a goat, you can't then milk the mother of that goat uh, and then use that milk to boil the meat of the goat that you just killed. I'm not sure why that provision is made, but uh, that's the rule. So don't do it. <sighs> Look at that. We made it through a whole bunch of stuff, guys. There are a whole bunch of whole bunch of rules here. So there will be more rules. Uh, the next thing we're going to get into is, is how you build the Ark of the Covenant, um, where you keep the covenants. There's some stuff that goes on with the elders. Uh, we're going to get to the part where God says, I'm going to kill those people. Moses says, no, don't. Maybe let me do it. Um, I don't know that we're going to go in, into, into deep detail here about all the different ways to make an art of the Ark of the Covenant. There's also, you know, instructions for all the priestly garments, what you're supposed to wear, all those kinds of things. So if you see, uh, you know, people dressed up in, in traditional priestly garb, I say dressed up, I mean like dressed in wearing traditional priestly garb um, as one of the priests of Israel, that this is where those instructions came from. It's all laid out here. Um, you have to have a table for the bread and lampstands and curtains and 
and all kinds of stuff. Altars for burnt offerings and oil for the lamps and all these different things. So if you're interested in what I would call more the, I don't know, I guess I don't want to say minor and if, is if that trivializes it. There's a lot less of the pop culture stuff in, in here. Um, if you have interest, you should, uh, you should definitely check it out. So God gives instructions for how to make all of the, all of the clothing for the priests. So that's how to do that and how you make daily offerings, how many lambs you're supposed to sacrifice. I don't think any of you are keen on sacrificing lambs, but if you are, you can go into Exodus chapter 29 and that will tell you about how to sacrifice lambs and what to do about that. There's, oh, bronze basins and anointing oil and incense and, oh my goodness, so many people. More Sabbath. All these kinds of things. And then we get to the two tablets of the covenant. So um, I've kind of glossed, uh, kind of, I've really glossed over these last little bits. I'm not going to tell you how to make priestly garments. I'm not going to tell you how to make the Ark of the Covenant. If you want to know, you can you can go back to those two, those two chapters and, and read them in great detail. There are a lot of interesting things in there um how to take a census and which spices you should mix to put incense in the temple and there's so there's specifications for all of those kinds of things uh which is very very interesting um we call some sons from the tribe of judah to uh, make them judges um and make aaron and his sons uh priests so there you go Aaron's the high priest, and it's this is what I want to end on before we, we stop this episode. I want you to end on the idea that Aaron has just been made one of the high priests of Israel. Very, 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 very important stuff, okay? Don't lose sight of that. Because next time, we're going to talk about the golden calf. We get back to the fun plot stuff for a little while, uh, where things go a little bananas. So, And it's going to be really important for you to remember that, that Aaron is kind of an important guy and, and has a very important job. So... Whew, that's that. We made it. Um, I would always, as always, I appreciate your feedback. If you uh, think the law was too boring, if you thought I didn't do enough, if you really do want me to talk about how to make priestly vestments, I guess we can do that. I don't know what I'm going to say about it, but we'll figure it out. Let me know. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at the pocketbook pod, or you can find us on Gmail at the pocketbook pod at gmail.com or the pocketbook. Oh, geez. I don't even remember the, my own email address. Pretty sure it's thepocketbook at gmail.com. Pretty sure. None of you have wanted to email me yet anyway, so we'll figure it out. If you've made it this far, I've said it right in the past. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head right now. You'll sort it out. So as always, um, I welcome your feedback and your questions, uh, your exclamations, all of that stuff. Let me know what you're thinking about it. And uh, thanks for listening. And thanks for putting up with the little hiatus. So we'll be back on our regular schedule now. And... Um, Wishing you all a super happy time whenever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening.